My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We situate ourselves in the Bethlehem area on that night of all nights, the night of the birth of our Saviour. And Luke tells us that in that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. A wonderful Lord, that your arrival, your incarnation is proclaimed firstly to simple people, humble people, like you and like me, ordinary people, doing their work. We could well understand why the shepherds are frightened. How would you and I react if we saw a vision of a heavenly being uh, and then a heavenly host around him as well? And the angel says to them, on behalf of God, do not be afraid. Those words which are the most repeated words of the New Testament, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. To you is born this day. It's very good for us to focus on the, the pronouns in the um, account of the birth of Jesus. To you is born this day. The father, the prelate of the work, speaks about this in his Christian his Christmas message, if I'm not mistaken, to think about, you know, for us, for you, for me. These words of the angel bring to mind the prophecy of Isaiah seven centuries before more or less. Unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born. Your birth, Lord, is not just a general historical event. It's an integral part of my own biography. For us, for you, for me, uh, our Lord has come. We say it in the creed. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. For all women and men, Christ gave himself in love. Lord, help me to accept the gift which you are in person. Help me to welcome you wholeheartedly. Help me to savour your love. 
Help, help me to perceive your love at the deepest level of my being because that's what really renews me. That's what fills me with life and enables me in turn to love you and to love others in and through you. Insofar as we become aware of the gift who is God in Christ, in Christ, in Christ the child, we are inspired to thank God for the gift of our own life and to make of our own life a gift to others. So there you are, Lord, born um, in Bethlehem, and the simple people are the first to know. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Well, maybe you and I can accompany the shepherds, be a little helper of the shepherds, be among their company as they walk from their fields across the way, following the directions of the angels to Bethlehem. They come up the side of that particular hill. Perhaps they see some smoke wisping out from that particular cave. They make their way in a little bit tentatively. We're, we're a bit shy about going in there if you like, breaking into that intimacy. But there's a young man standing there who clearly is in charge, who feels responsible, and, and he welcomes us in. We feel at home in his presence. We get the sense of a person who is attentive, sensitive, a capable, reliable man, who's full of heart as well. That's St. Joseph. And then we see her, we see the young mother and there's something ineffable about her. On the one hand, she is so totally approachable and totally natural and at the same time, sublime. Maybe the word we're looking for is full of grace. Grace, which implies beauty, elegance and deep love. And in the presence of Mary, we somehow realize that we are her children and that she is our mother. Without anything being said, it's, it's like it's instinctive. We realize somehow this is the mother of this child and she's also our mother, my mother, your mother. As St. Maria used to say, speaking about the Holy Family, to this family we indeed belong. We belong to this family. Not just in a metaphorical sense, but in a much deeper sense, because this is our mother. Joseph is our father and Lord, because Christ is our brother. We are daughters and sons of God the Father in Christ, and therefore indeed we can say that we do belong to this family. What happens then? Well, it's for each one of us to imagine it, to contemplate it in the intimacy of our own prayer, of course. But perhaps Our Lady lets each one of us hold the child. Wouldn't it make sense 
if you Lord Jesus Christ the child if you are God's gift to us if you are born unto us unto us a son is given unto us a child is born for to you today in the city of David is born a saviour well I can well imagine Our Lady's keenness that each one of us would hold the child maybe maybe we feel a little bit um, unworthy are unsure of ourselves who am I to hold this particular child and and yet when we hold that child when we look at him we somehow come to realise that it's not us holding him so much as him holding us holding us in existence holding us in grace we often pray to Our Lady show unto us the blessed fruit of your womb and I'm sure in Bethlehem Our Lady shows unto us even hands us carefully the blessed fruit of her womb so these days of Christmas with all the different feasts is a great time a natural time to contemplate this child Jesus Christ to contemplate him slowly and lovingly savouring the fact that he has been revealed to us are not important but are important for God that involves in our part an openness to enter into the logic of humility which is so characteristic of um, our Lord's coming looking at the Holy Father's preaching this Christmas um, also his Wednesday audience there his catechesis a few days ago on the nativity it's all about humility God who comes in humility and we who can approach God and be open to him in humility. Pope Benedict said in a homily once, God has made himself small for us. God comes not with external force, but he comes in the powerlessness of his love, which is where his true strength lies. He places himself in our hands. He asks for our love. He invites us to become small ourselves, to come down from our high thrones and to learn to be childlike before God. He speaks to us informally. He asks us to trust him and thus to learn how to live in truth and love. Lord, help me to come down from whatever high thrones I tend to uh, put up for myself. Help me to uh, spend time with you and enter into the logic of lowliness, which is greatness. Let us contemplate Jesus. We are never going to exhaust the mystery of our Lord. Lord, I'll never tire of being in your presence. St. John of the Cross in his spiritual canticle, he has a lovely image. He says, there's great depths to be fathomed in Christ. He is like an abandoned mine with many recesses containing treasures, of which for all that men try to fathom them, the end and bottom bottom is never reached. Rather, in each recess, men continue to find new veins of new riches on all sides. Such a mystery, Christmas. It's somehow infinite, because it's the mystery of God. In fact, St. Bernard, who has some beautiful homilies and meditations on Christmas, he says, this mystery, the Christmas mystery, is so profound and so incomprehensible 
It is like a fountain of life, whose waters can never dry up, but rather flow more freely the more that is drawn off. So let's not be afraid to, um, to enter into this wonderful mystery, the mystery of the Incarnation. The mystery of your presence among us, Lord. The mystery of the child with a capital C. What's it like to hold that child? We have a wonderful example, of course, in St. Josemaria, his devotion to the Christ child there in Madrid, that little statuette um, which, he, uh, which he prayed to, which he held and which he even sang to. When we look at the gaze of Christ and we let him look at us. Again, that's something St. Josemaria used to encourage us with. He'd say, what must the gaze of Jesus be like? Sometimes when he was contemplating the meeting between our Lord and the rich young man in the gospel, you know, where we're told by, I think it's St. Mark, says, Jesus looked upon him and loved him. And St. Josemaria would say, well, what must that gaze of Jesus have been like? Well, similarly, when we, um, when we hold the Christ child in our arms, what's his gaze upon us like? And that's something to discover over the Christmas. Discover that gaze of the Christ child. We belong to his family. Pope Francis, speaking to young people a few years ago, said... Have you ever felt the gaze of everlasting love on you? A gaze that looks beyond your sins, limitations and failings and continues to have faith in you and to look upon your life in hope. Do you realise how precious you are to God who has given you everything out of love? Do I realise, do we realise how precious we are to God? Well, that maybe that's a grace to ask our Lord for at Christmas. And we, and we discern it, if you like, from the gaze of our Lord. Again, we know St. Josemaria loved to contemplate the gaze of Jesus. He says in Friends of God, As we sense in our hearts the love, the compassion, the tenderness of Christ's gaze upon us, for he never abandons us, we shall come to understand the full meaning of those words of St. Paul, Virtus in infirmitate perficitur, if we have faith in our Lord, in spite of our failings, or rather with our failings, we will be faithful to our Father God. Holding the little child, holding you, Lord, in our arms, in our heart, soaking, if you like, soaking up your gaze, we realise that you sustain us and that our strength is not from ourselves, but from you. And that we don't, in a sense, we don't need to be strong. We need to let you make us strong. When we look at the Christ child, when we enter into the, the, um, the stable, the cave, among the members of the Holy Family, we become aware of that wonderful exchange that the Fathers of the Church talk about, the admirabile commercium, the admirable commerce or the wonderful exchange that you, Lord, have become man so that we can become children of God. This is one of the many paradoxes at the heart of uh, Christianity. 
we could ask the Holy Spirit to give us a perception of this uh, great theme that is um, so big in the teaching of the Fathers of the Church of the Admirabile Commercium, the great exchange that uh, you, Lord, in assuming our humanity, have opened the way for us to share in your divinity. Uh, and it all happens with this uh, surprising way in which you come to us. There's a lovely prayer from the Eastern Liturgy, which is contained in the Catechism of the Church. It says, The Virgin today brings into the world the eternal, and the earth offers a cave to the inaccessible. The angels and shepherds praise him, and the Magi advance with the star. For you are born for us, little child, God eternal. It is very interesting, this, uh, this paradox of greatness and littleness. Um, it's something that Josef Ratzinger explored in a homily back in 1979 when he was in Munich. And he does so by um, meditating on one of the oldest gestures in the liturgy of the Mass, which is the little drop of water which is poured into the chalice along with the wine at the moment of the offertory. One of the most ancient gestures in the Christian liturgy. And apparently this originally goes back to, uh, quite simply, to the Mediterranean people's ancient custom of never drinking wine without mixing it with water. And thus this drop of water, you could say it connects us with the origin of the Eucharist because that's what our Lord would have done. He would have added some water into his wine. Uh, but obviously, apart from this, if you like, very practical meaning, um, there have been many interpretations of this gesture over history. And from the 11th century onwards, it's been seen very much in terms of the Christian mystery, God and man becoming one. The mystery of Christ in whom this marvellous exchange occurs. God assumes human nature so that men and women can take part in the divine nature. This is how Ratzinger puts it in that homily. He says, the poor little drop of water, which sinks into the delicious, strong wine, appears to represent God becoming man. Man, that poor being, is taken up into the ocean of the divinity. Man stands in God's heart. Beautiful way of putting it. Um, so we notice that every day in the offertory, the celebrant of the Mass puts in these few little drops of water that are completely lost in the wine. Um, but it was seen within the church as man being assumed into the divinity of God. Uh, just as God assumed the humanity of man uh, at the incarnation. And that's why over the years, over the centuries, um, a prayer was added to this gesture, which is still contained at least partially in the, in, in the liturgies today. And it's a prayer that comes from St. Leo the Great, who of course is the great theologian of the Incarnation in the early church. St. Leo's sermons on Christmas are, are very famous, very beautiful, very deep. Um, so it's a prayer from St. Leo the Great, which interestingly forms part now of the Mass of Christmas Day. But it also forms part, at least partially, of the, the rubrics of the Mass, because it's, it's a prayer that the priest celebrant says quietly while he does this gesture. So, in the Collect for the Mass of Christmas Day, we have this prayer of St. Leo. O God, who wonderfully created the dignity of human nature, and still more wonderfully restored it, grant, we pray, that we may share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever.
when the few drops of water are being added to the wine during Mass, the priest says quietly, because it's not audible, he says, um, a part of this prayer, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. That's the marvellous exchange. That's the admirable commercium, which is at the heart of the uh, incarnation. And we can bring all this to our uh, to our ordinary life. You know, what is seemingly very ordinary, very insignificant, um, mundane even, aspects of our work or our family life or relationships or whatever else it might be, in fact, is great and can be, as St. Josemaria would say, full of the love of God, full of the grace of God, in virtue of the Incarnation. Everything we do in Christ, while it might seem to be very ordinary, is actually very great. We might think of the words of St. Paul to the Colossians when he says, you know, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, if your life and my life is hidden with Christ in God, then it shares somehow in the force and the beauty, the grace of of divinity. And and that's the basis for what St. Josemaria says about, you know, turning the ordinary prose of every day into heroic verse. And uh, there's something holy, something divine, hidden in the most ordinary circumstances. It's up to each one of us to discover it. It's a bit like the little drops of water in that fine wine. It's our humanity immersed into the divinity of Christ. It's this holy exchange, this divine exchange, which we see in Bethlehem. We discover this, all of it, and not just by theology or reflecting on, on, on a concept like this being, um, I suppose, spelt out for us, but um, by being with the Christ child, by entering into, uh, into communion with him, by holding him in our arms or in our heart or whatever way it might be, It's interesting, the prayer of St. Leo says that God wonderfully made creation and still more wonderfully redeemed it. But I suppose we shouldn't lose sight, first of all, of the, the wonder of creation. That it's a wonderful thing that, that you, Lord, created in the first place and, and that creation is something very, very good. It's not bad, even though it's wounded, even though it's not perfect. Um, you have created it. And redemption depends, you could say, on creation. You know, it's through created reality, through our humanity, that God saves us. So creation and redemption very much go together. Um, and in some ways, this wonderful exchange, which is at the heart of the incarnation, answers all our needs as human beings. Because in a certain sense, original sin the way we fell in the first instance was through um, kind of wanting to be like God's. Our first parents were tempted by Satan in those terms. You know, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, then you will be like God. You will be like unto God. And in some ways, isn't that always our temptation? We want to be in control. We want to be like God. But that's a false wanting to be like God. But God is so rich in mercy and so infinitely wise that through his plan of redemption, he makes us, in a certain sense, like to God, in the sense that he enables us to share in his divine life. And so that craving we have for eternity, for, for union with God, is satisfied in a very healthy and proper way through our divine filiation. So 
God always works things out so much better than we do. Uh, and we do well um, to trust him. Uh, as uh, Joseph Ratzinger says in that particular homily, um, God, who took the step of creating something outside of himself, now takes a further, even greater step. He overcomes the gulf that separates creator and creature. Ratzinger says, he himself becomes a creature, and the creature becomes God. Not that we literally become God, one and three. We don't become Jesus Christ, literally. But yes, we do become really children of God with a real sharing um, you know, in the divine nature, divine consortis naturae. We become a new creation. So our vocation then, to be contemplatives in the middle of the world, to see you, Lord, and to live with you and to savour your presence in every situation, good, bad and indifferent, is rooted in this marvellous exchange where you open for us um, participation in the divine life. So as you and I hold that child in our arms, in our soul, in our heart, in our contemplation, we learn true wisdom. We learn who's really holding who. Uh, and we learn what divine intimacy means. There's so many consequences of meditating on, on this um, wonderful exchange. And of course one of them, and maybe the one that, that we do well to meditate on above all, is the love of God, the love of God. As St. Bernard says, the less he has made himself in his humanity, the greater he has shown himself in kindness. The more he humbles himself on my account, the more powerfully he engages my love. As uh, Paul says to Titus, the kindness and humanity of God, uh, our Saviour, has appeared. So on the one hand, this uh, marvellous exchange that you, Lord, bring about, it shows who you are. And it shows the wonder of your love. The humility of God is, uh, is a fruit of his merciful love. And maybe that's the first thing we contemplate um, at Christmas. Bearing in mind, in this regard, something the, the prelate of the work, the Father, uh, at times has, has said to us, as, I suppose, as a, as, a, as a consideration for prayer, when he says, you know, it's good to think, you know, who is Jesus for me? But maybe in the first place even to think, who am I for Jesus? Who am I for Jesus? Um, well, in holding the Christ child, we discover both things. Who am I for Jesus? Who we are for Jesus? And who Jesus is for me? And that's true wisdom. This marvellous exchange shows us who God is. He is love. He is self-sacrificing, humble love. But it also shows who we are. That we are great. We are great in God. We are great in Christ. The great French apologist of the 17th century, Blaise Pascal, in his work Les Pensées, the thoughts or his, his attempt at a comprehensive apologia for the Christian religion. He didn't get to finish it during his life. But um, it's a wonderful work, of course. But he says, not only, do we, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know the meaning of our life or of our death, of God or of ourselves. This is true. Lord, you have become small to teach us who we are, that we can be great. And this is always how God works with us. In a sense, that marvellous exchange continues in the economy of the church, in the Christian life. 
not only does God become small in Bethlehem so that we can become great through him, but the same dynamic is at work in the Holy Eucharist. God becomes small, humble, um, accessible, patient, so that we can become great by receiving the bread of life. You and I become one flesh with Christ. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him and I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life comes from um, sharing in the littleness, you might say, of God in the Eucharist. Now, God is not little in the Eucharist, but the manner of his presence is humble, very humble. The tremendous lion of Judah gives himself to us as the tiny lamb of God, says John Sayward. He comes to us gently in the womb of Mary, in the form of littleness and lowliness. He comes to us under the accidents of bread, and then in a different way, he comes to us in the persons of the poor, his unborn friends and comrades, the least, the little of his brethren. He comes to us, we might say, also in the sanctification of the ordinary, in family life, in work, in rest, in recreation. Lord, we ask you for the grace of discovering you um, in the little things of life and thereby to share in your greatness. We ask Our Lady to intercede for us so that we can have this this wisdom. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.